Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and get your Bibles open and open them to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to continue our study in that book with Bible teacher Jeff Verdorn, who's with me here in studio. And we're looking forward to doing this over probably five, six parts. So it's not going to last a long, long time, but uh, so far it's been awesome, and I'm glad to get back into it. Jeff, welcome. Hi, Bill. So... Last time we covered most of chapter one, but I think it's always helpful to do a little review because uh, I think you've got a specific strategy for us today, which I'm looking forward to. I do. So, yes, we, we covered chapter one last time, and we saw this uh, several things in chapter one of First Thessalonians. But first, I want to point out in verse four, uh, verse five, that we preached that Paul, when we preached the gospel, said that it will come with power of the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. And I just thought this passage is so powerful. When you are preaching the gospel to others, you don't have to worry about your own power, your own strength, because God says when you preach the gospel, he is the one that comes along by the Holy Spirit with power and deep conviction. Hmm. Uh, That's just such a wonderful promise. So what do we do? So good. We just preach, right? We leave the results up to God. We saw that the Thessalonians uh, in chapter 1 had great faith. Uh, Paul says that it had become known everywhere about their faith in verse 8. And, uh, and, and because of this great faith, they had, uh, the, but Paul also understood that they were under persecution and that they were experiencing great persecution in Thessalonica as well. So chapter 1 ended in verse 10 with this phrase, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And so we focused a little bit on that particular verse at the end of chapter 1 that this is really a message of hope that Paul was given the Thessalonians because of their great persecution. It's one of the big themes that we'll see in virtually every chapter, this hope that we have. But since he started talking about this hope of this event when Jesus will come back and rescue us from the coming wrath, The Thessalonians also started thinking about, well, what about the dead in Christ? What is going to happen to them? They didn't have a complete full understanding of God's plan for the end of the age and what would happen to the dead in Christ. So in a few chapters from now, in a few sessions from now, we'll see that because that comes up in chapter 4, and we'll we'll look at that briefly today, by the way. He then reassures that God's plan— includes a plan for the dead in Christ as well as those who are alive and remain. And that's our hope when Christ comes and rescues us from the coming wrath. This event theologians have called the rapture or the rapture of the church. So we looked at this passage in a little more detail and said, well, the coming of the Son, is this what theologians call the rapture 
or is it the second coming? So we spent some time comparing and contrasting the rapture and what happens there with the second coming when Jesus comes back from heaven, riding on a horse with the armies of heaven following him and so on. We read Revelation 19 and Matthew 24 last time. But this event says specifically that Jesus will come and rescue us from the coming wrath. And we talked last time that this coming wrath must be the tribulation period, this time of trouble that is going to come upon the whole world. What Jesus described in Matthew 24 as a great distress that the world has never seen and will never see again, that's the great tribulation that is going to come upon the world. And Paul is telling the Thessalonians, I know your persecution is hard. I know it's tough, but you're not in the worst persecution that's going to come upon the face of the earth. That's the tribulation period, and God is going to rescue you from that. Um, And so with that backdrop, with this reference to this event called the rapture, today I wanted to point out that Paul repeats this message and mentions this event in every chapter of both 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, except for the the last chapter of 2 Thessalonians, a short chapter of just kind of greetings and closings and so on. But but Paul is bringing this message that God is that Christ is going to come back and rescue us from the coming wrath, this event that we call the rapture of the church in every single chapter of Thessalonians. So I thought we'd skip ahead to every chapter oh, cool. and bring those all together today. So we'll connect those dots today to get things started and then maybe end up in the second chapter, but let's let's do that very thing. Let's let's go to each chapter and see how it teaches. Perfect. So we just saw at the end of chapter 1, verse 10, Paul tells them that they are to wait for his son from heaven who he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. And I just that's a clear rapture passage. Jesus is going to rescue us from the wrath that is coming upon the world. By the way, this also points to the timing of the rapture. If he rescues us from the coming wrath, that means the rapture has to be prior to God pouring out his wrath on the world. So what's included in God's wrath? Well, the book of Revelation teaches a lot of the details about what are what's going to happen during this seven-year period of tribulation. This book includes seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, and seven bowl judgments. Now, we're not going to go through what those all are, but some want to say that only the bowl judgments that happen at the end of the tribulation are part of God's wrath, and therefore the rapture just has to be before those, and we as the church are going to go through much of this tribulation period. But I want to point out that the seal judgments are opened by Jesus, the trumpet judgments are opened, are blown by angels, and the bold judgments are poured out by God's angels. All of it is God's wrath. And therefore, I think this passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 is a strong indication, strong evidence that the rapture of the church will occur prior to God pouring out his wrath on the earth. That is what theologians call a pre-tribulation rapture. And we'll talk about that more as we go through the book of Thessalonians and see these other clues of this event called the rapture. All right, number chapter 2. In chapter 2, 
we have verse 19, which says this, For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes? All right, so notice we have another reference to Jesus coming when he comes, and this time his coming is connected with glory. It says that we will glory in his presence. Well, what is this glory? What does this glory mean? This is an indication that we will be in glory with the Lord. Well, our glorification is our, what Scripture calls, our resurrection. This is resurrection day. This is when the earthly body will be put aside and we will gain our new, glorified, resurrected body. Just as Jesus' body was changed from an earthly body to a resurrected, glorified body at his resurrection, so too at our resurrection day, our flesh will be changed. For flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, we receive a new body. This old body that we have right now is actually called an earth tent by both uh, both Peter and Paul call it an earth tent. It's a temporary dwelling. This is not the body that we are going to spend eternity in. We have a new glorified body that we will spend eternity in. And that is what Paul is referencing here, that we will be in glory with Christ, just like Jesus. Uh, by the way, it says, also it says, or the crown in which we will glory. I think this is a reference and we'll, we'll cover this later, but every single Christian will get a crown. And so there's, a, there's a, a hint that on this day that we are glorified, we will get our crown. And that's exactly the picture that, that Scripture paints, that at the moment of the rapture, Jesus says, I'm coming soon and my reward is with me. Scripture indicates that at, on this rapture day, on this resurrection day, that is when, when we are caught up to heaven, that's when the judgment seat of Christ occurs, what's also known as the Bema judgment. And this Bema judgment is when the church is judged. But it's not a judgment like the judgment of the lost. This judgment is a rewards ceremony when believers are rewarded for the works that we've done in the body. All the bad is burned up, and what remains we receive a reward, and I think part of that reward will be a crown that every single believer will receive, and uh, and I think so. That's the reference to this crown, and that happens right after the rapture in heaven um, when we're up in heaven with Christ. So uh, Jesus said, like I said, I'm coming soon, and my reward is with me. Jeff Verdorn is my guest. We're continuing our study on First Thessalonians. Um, Jeff, this is. Uh, fascinating how we're being able to connect these dots throughout all of uh, Thessalonians on the rapture and the second coming. Yeah, it's it's uh, like he had a core message that he wanted to give the Thessalonians a, an extra dose of hope yeah. by saying this day is is coming. And in fact, Titus, when he writes to Titus, is is he calls the rapture our blessed hope, and it really is. It's a hope that one day. Christ will take us to be with him. Hmm. That is a great hope. All right, chapter 3. Verse 13, he says this, May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus Christ comes 
with all of his holy ones. Now, this one is a little bit um, veiled, not veiled, but a little bit distinguishing between the rapture and the second coming on this one maybe takes a little bit more effort because it says that when Jesus comes with all of his holy ones, well, the passage we read last time in, in Revelation 19, Jesus is coming at the second coming and the armies of heaven were following him. And so this could apply to the second coming, but I think this is still a rapture passage. And here's why. Who are the holy ones? Well, when we get to chapter 4 in just a minute, we're going to see, just as the Thessalonians were concerned about, that the dead in Christ are going to also be participants in this thing called the rapture. So when he comes, he comes with his holy ones, meaning the dead in Christ. In chapter 4, we're going to see that they receive their glorified bodies first, then we who are alive and remain will then receive our glorified bodies so I think the two groups of people that, that God is talking about here are the dead in Christ, the believers in heaven, and those who are alive and remain, as we'll see in just a minute in chapter 4. Mm. These are the holy ones that are in Christ. Jeff, what about the re- there's a reference in, in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 5. It says, you will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquakes in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. Yeah, so the... Would those be angels? The, the Zechariah passage is referring to Israel, number one, that uh, Israel plays a special role in God's plan for the, for the end times. Uh, they will be in Israel. The temple will be rebuilt. The Antichrist is going to come upon them and set up his own image in the temple of God Uh, Thessalonians will say that he uh, uh, sets himself up in the temple of God, declaring himself to be God. That happens at the midpoint of the tribulation when the abomination of desolation is set up in the temple that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24 and also in Daniel 9, actually. So it's at that moment that Matthew 24 says to Israel, flee. You need to get out of there. Okay. You know, I, I knew that. I just let you answer it. <laughs> and so I think that's the fleeing that is being described okay. in Zechariah right. there. All right. And then he does come with his holy ones at the end of the tribulation. And one of the great uh, understandings is why does Jesus come and destroy all the armies and tread the winepress of the wrath of God? And that's because the world is going to, is about to destroy Israel and he comes to save the remnant of Israel, and they will be saved and enter into the millennial kingdom. So I think that particular reference is of the second coming. I think Paul specifically here is actually referring to the rapture. So a little bit different. That's why I said this one is a, was a little bit more clouded or veiled. Okay. All right, let me take a little break. Jeff Dorn is my guest. We are studying First Thessalonians, which means... Hopefully you have your Bible open and a pencil in hand. That's the best way to study. We'll be right back. with Jeff Verdorn. We're continuing our study on 1 Thessalonians. Maybe we're working a little harder than usual today, Jeff? 
<laughs> Would you say? Sure. Oh, good, good. Because yeah. we're, we're jumping around a little bit, connecting some amazing dots. We're finding rapture verses in each chapter of First Thessalonians, and we're all the way up to chapter 4. May I do the honor of reading three verses, starting in 16? Yes. Oh, awesome. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So let's start with that last part. This idea that the Lord is going to come back and take us to be where he is also is a, is a source of encouragement for the church. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And that is, I think, exactly what Paul was doing with the Thessalonians by referencing the rapture again and again and again is giving them hope, giving them encouragement. Uh, because, like we mentioned, they were going through persecution. And, and by the way, today, Christians still experience persecution um, you know, in this country, uh, we're, we're not persecuted per se like Christians are around the world, but things are changing in this country awfully fast. Uh, how our nation views Christians and Christianity is declining rapidly. And I think there's a lot of Christians who could envision at some point in time Christians actually experiencing more persecution in this country than maybe what we're used to over the last couple hundred years. Uh, I would so say this, plan on it. Yeah, plan on plan it. Plan on it. So this is a message for every generation of Christians in, in every age, no matter what your continent or country that you live in or what language you speak, this is the hope for the church. All right. This passage, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 17, is one of two core rapture passages. There's so much here. One, we have the two groups of people that we talked about earlier. We have the dead in Christ who will rise first and we who are alive and remain. So Paul is, is describing what is going to happen to both groups of people. So whether you are in Christ and you've already died, or whether you are in Christ and you're still alive, at this moment when the loud command and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God happens, the Lord himself is going to come, and we will be caught up together with them, Jesus and the those who are dead in Christ, and we will meet them in the clouds uh, of the air. All right, Jeff, can I walk you over to the water cooler here for a minute and yeah. ask you some questions about this? Because this is interesting if the dead in Christ will rise first. Don't we usually see depictions of these bodies coming out of the, the cemetery? And aren't these people in the presence of the Lord? We, we do, and so let's talk about this briefly now because you asked, and when we get to chapter 4, we'll talk about it in more detail. Okay. But yes, the rising that Paul is talking about is the resurrection that we mentioned before the break. This is when we receive our glorified bodies. So you're absolutely right. Many in the church have a picture of those who have died before, you know, that, that are Christians, coming out of their graves somehow for this day. And that's what's common. I have, I have a collection of kind of paintings of this day, of the resurrection day, of the rapture. And often it's pictured as people coming up out of their graves. But where are the dead in Christ? In the presence of the Lord. They are. They're in the presence of the Lord. They are already in heaven. 
So their rising, quote-unquote, or their resurrection is really the dead in Christ who are in heaven receiving their glorified bodies. That's what rising means. It has nothing to do with rising up out of the earth. It has everything to do with receiving a glorified body. So the dead in Christ rise first. The dead in Christ receive their glorified bodies first. It has nothing to do with the grave. There's many Christians who have died over the centuries where there's nothing left of their physical body. And, and God does not need their physical body. Their soul is in heaven. They are going to be clothed in a new glorified body. It has nothing to do with what's left in the grave. Okay, thank you for that. And we'll deal with that some more at another time. Yeah, when we get to chapter four. Okay. Together with us and in, 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 who are alive and remain, and we are going to be caught up into the air. Now, very important. We talked about this last time. Which direction are we going? And that is we're going up, aren't we? Mm-hmm. We're going up to meet the Lord in the air, so there we will be with him forever. Well, he's in heaven. We are going from earth to heaven. That is the direction of travel, if you will, for the rapture of the church. At the second coming, we see the church coming down with Christ from heaven back to earth. Yeah. So that is one of the key distinctions between the rapture and the second coming. I don't want to get off track here, Jeff, but when you see an airplane in the sky, you go, oh, look at that. I can see an airplane in the sky, and it's pretty high up. And when we think about meeting the Lord in the air... Are you afraid of heights, by the way? No, I'm not. But when you think of meeting the Lord in the air, will that be something that will be visibly uh, able for other people to see? Yeah, this is... that. No, that's a very good question. The rapture is commonly taught that it's a it's a kind of disappearance okay that we are going to poof be gone it's because and we'll get there when we get to chapter four because of first corinthians 15 which is the another core rapture passage that says that our resurrection will happen in the twinkling of an eye and so i think theologians have put together first corinthians 15 in the twinkling of an eye and this idea from first thessalonians 4 here where we're caught up to to meet them in the air and they've kind of merged those two together and said that the rapture, the catching up part of the rapture happens in the twinkling of an eye. So we just kind of disappear. We are going to see scripture points to a different view of the rapture. And, and, and I'm going to go to Acts chapter one, because in Acts chapter one, Jesus, who is in his glorified body, goes up to heaven as everybody is watching. Right. He goes up and is hid by the clouds, and the angels ask the men, what are you looking at? And it's like, what do you mean, what are you looking at? We just saw Jesus go up to heaven. That is called, in Revelation 12, the rapture of Jesus. That's his rapture. In the same way, I think Scripture points that our rapture won't be some kind of great disappearance, but we will physically, bodily, visibly rise up to heaven, just as Jesus did in Acts chapter 1. You're encouraging me with these words. Oh, that is awesome. I think that's what you meant to do. I All did. right, we'll take a break. Be back with Jeff Verdorn as we continue our great study in Thessalonians. We're doing both books, one and two, but right now we're, we're still in one. We'll be right back.
It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. All right, we weren't gone long, and we're back with Jeff Verdorn talking about uh, first. Thessalonians. And today, we're connecting some really amazing dots about rapture passages in each chapter of Thessalonians. And we're right now in chapter four. So if you missed any of this, you're going to definitely want to go hear it from the beginning, because if you just stepped in your car, uh, you're going to be amazed at some of these uh, references that we're connecting regarding rapture that Paul gives in First Thessalonians. Now, in chapter four, I'll read 16, 17, and 18 again. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I just wanted to read that again. It I probably didn't have to, but I just wanted to. It, no, I'm glad you did. It is a source of encouragement to us, isn't it? Yes. You know, whatever your beliefs of the end times, and, and I tell you, there are many, many different understandings of God's plan for the end of the age. Uh, lots of different opinions on this subject. But whatever your opinion, even if, whether you believe in the rapture, you don't believe in the rapture, if you don't have a rapture view, if you don't have an understanding that this day that called the rapture is going to come— what do you do with this passage? This is one of the core passages about this event that we call the rapture. Um, and if if it's not this day when God is going to, Jesus is going to come back and, and catch us up to him to be with the Lord in the air, well, then what is this? What is this passage? What is it describing? When does it happen? You see what I'm saying? You have to do something with this passage because there's a day that Paul says that we're going to be caught up together with him in the clouds and be with the Lord forever. What is that day? You have to do something with it. Um, by the way, let's look at this word caught up for a second because that's really what's happening here where the church is caught up together with them in the clouds. That's verse 17. That's in verse 17. The Greek word here for caught up is the Greek word harpazo. And that word probably doesn't mean anything to anybody. But theologians studied actually in the Latin for centuries um, before we studied it in the English. Uh, many studied it in Latin. The Latin word for caught up or snatched up or snatched away, which is what this Greek word harpazo means, is the Latin word rapturo. Oh, that's where we get the phrase rapture. So it really doesn't matter if you call this day the rapture or the harpazo or the great day of being caught up together with God. It, you can call it whatever you want. Theologians have decided that they're going to call it the rapture. So we call it the rapture, and that is that is why. Harpazo, to catch, carry up, caught up, uh, suddenly took away. I love that. Boy, suddenly that kind of sounds away. like the rapture, doesn't it? Kinda it kind of does, yeah. That's exactly what that word means. So whatever your end times theology, whatever your eschatology is the theological word for the study of end things, um, you have to uh, determine what, what is God talking about here in this passage if it's not the, the rapture of the church being brought up to heaven at some day in the future. Jesus, by the way, 
in the in what is arguably the first passage in all of the New Testament about the rapture in John 14 said this. He said in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to heaven to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Well, that sure sounds like the rapture that we were just studying in 1 Thessalonians 4. And Jesus said there is a day that's going to come when I'm when he is going to come back and take us to be where he is also. That's the rapture of the church. There is a day when believers are going to be caught up. So if you don't have a rapture doctrine, what is this all about? Paul specifically says we're caught up to heaven. This is our resurrection day, by the way. So when does the resurrection happen? If not this day, when when we when we get to chapter four, we'll also link in First Corinthians fifteen, where it says that we will all be changed, we will all be glorified. That's the same day that we're caught up. We are glorified, then we are caught up together with him in the clouds. That's the rapture. So when are we resurrected? When are we glorified? You have to put this together, and you have to 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 create your an eschatology, a plan. That God, and God tells us about this plan, by the way, all over the place, from the Old Testament and the New Testament, Daniel 9, Matthew 24, and Thessalonians here, and the book of Revelation has a lot of the details about this future time that's going to come upon the world. You have to piece all those pieces together to paint a view of the end time. So what are you going to do with this passage if it's not the rapture of the church? And of course, as you said right before the break, this is... <laughs> just an amazing source of encouragement for the church. I love to teach on the rapture because it is a source of encouragement. Mm-hmm. Jeff Verdorn is my guest. We're still studying First Thessalonians, and we're going to do the both books. And we're going to be doing it over the course of the next several months, so you're going to want to stay tuned. Every other Tuesday for the next several months, we're going to be studying Thessalonians, which I love. All right, Jeff. Chapter 5. Chapter 5 in 1 Thessalonians, verse 23, says this, May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this one, it's kind of like chapter 3. This could be the second coming or this could be the rapture. Uh, I would argue that this is Paul talking about the rapture once again. He is doing it over and over and over again. You know, if, if, if this was talking about the second coming— and the church knew that they were going to have to uh, live through the tribulation period all the way up to the coming, the second coming of Christ, which happens at the end of the tribulation period. Would that be a source of encouragement for yes. all of us? Oh, no. Yeah, no. I, no, it wouldn't. I, we'd be looking for tribulation. Yes. We'd be looking for the Antichrist. We'd be looking for trumpet judgments and bold judgments and massive amounts of death and destruction, which is going to happen because Jesus said that this time that's coming upon the world is is going to be the, a great distress that the world has, has ever seen and will never see again. That's what we'd have to look forward to. That's not encouraging. No, not at all. But Jesus says he's coming up, coming for us to rescue us from that coming wrath. So I think Paul is referencing the rapture once again here in chapter 5. He's talking about the rapture just like all of the other uh, chapters in, in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, but really the whole part of the chapter in chapter 5 when we get there is about the rapture, and we'll get to that. 
But he says about times and dates, I'm not going to write you verse 1. This is called the day of the Lord, and the start of the day of the Lord is the rapture of the church. He talks about destruction coming upon them, meaning the world, the lost world, not on us, not on believers. And he says in verse 9 in chapter 5 that God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. This was the whole point that we talked about last show, that we do not experience as believers in Christ Jesus the wrath of God. We are blameless, by the way. He calls us blameless here in chapter 5. He also said we are holy and blameless in chapter 3. We didn't focus on it back then, but we are in Christ Jesus, have been forgiven by God. We are holy. We are saints. We are united with Christ. We are seated with him in the heavenly realms. We are holy and blameless. We're spotless in God's eyes. We're righteous. God has made us righteous. He's washed us clean, forgiven us, and now we are the righteousness of God. That's who we are. We're not under God's wrath anymore. Oh, cool. Very cool. All right. Second Thessalonians. Chapter 1. Towards the end in verse 10, it says this, On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. Well, we are the ones who have believed. The glorification of Uh, is what happens at the rapture. He will be glorified in his holy people when we too are glorified. I think that's what that means. And we will marvel at him on that day. Look, can you imagine this day when you're mowing your yard and you hear the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God? This is when you're losing me, just so you know. You don't mow your yard? No, I don't mow my yard. This is where you're losing me. When you're wiping down your kitchen counter. All right, when you're, I do that once in a while. Whatever. When you're, uh, when you're at the radio station All right. and we hear the, the, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, we're going to be changed. First, first Corinthians 15 says, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be glorified. We're going to receive our new glorified bodies. And then we're going to be caught up together with him in the clouds. Can you imagine this day that's coming? Wow. Amazing. That's what Paul is giving the Thessalonians hope for, and that is our hope. And I think he's referencing it here. But arguably, verse 10 is not as clear of a rapture passage as some of the other ones. Let's go to chapter 2 of Second Thessalonians. Verse 1, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. All right, now this is absolutely the rapture of the church. Mm-hmm. You, 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 at the start of it, it says the coming of our Lord Jesus. Your mind might go to the second coming, but then it specifically says and are being gathered unto him. Well, that's exactly what he was just describing in First Thessalonians chapter 4, and this is when we are gathered to Christ up in the air, and there we will be with the Lord forever. This is not a picture of us coming back with him. Remember, at the second coming, we are already with him in heaven. Revelation chapter 19, the church is already in heaven. They're seen wearing fine linen, white and clean, already in heaven, waiting for Christ to ride back on his white horse to tread the wine press at the end of the tribulation at the second coming. So this is our being gathered unto him. That's the rapture. Cool. Very cool. And then finally, not finally, but in chapter 3 of Second Thessalonians, 
Uh, I, I don't see a, a, any clear teaching on the rapture or any particular reference to the rapture, but chapter 3 is really kind of the the summary chapter of Second uh, Thessalonians. It's just kind of greetings and salutations, and so there's there's not a, a lot of teaching there, so it's kind of not surprising. Well, maybe it is a little surprising that here Paul mentions the rapture in every chapter in both First and Second Thessalonians all the way up to chapter 3. But remember, chapter divisions are man's constructs, right? These were not originally in the Word of God. So uh, the bottom line is Paul is talking about the rapture of the church uh, and is one of the biggest themes in First and Second Thessalonians. Uh, as we talked about it, as a message for hope for them who are facing great persecution. And Paul is telling them that he will rescue them from the coming tribulation that one day is going to come upon the world. That's the hope that we have. Mm. And by the way, one of the other great themes of Thessalonians that we touched on last time is that uh, that that Paul is exhorting the Thessalonians to continue with their faith to live out this faith, to be holy in all that they do. And there's this idea in Scripture that the more hope that you have in this day, in the rapture of the church, that it's, it's a, it has a purifying effect for how we live. What kind of people should we be, what kind of lives should we be living if one day, at any moment, the trump is going to sound and Jesus is going to come, by, come back and call us to himself? I think that's exactly what John was talking about in 1 John 3, 3, that says this, all who have this hope in him purify themselves with this hope. And I think the hope that he's talking about is this day that we one day will be with the Lord and there we will be with the Lord forever. That, it's just a great hope. Look, I remember the first time that I started studying God's plan for the end of the age. It was over 30 years ago. And I would come home and I would tell my wife, I said, you can't believe what God is. God's told us the future. He's, he's told us what's going to happen upon this world. Everybody needs to know this. Why isn't this on 2020 and 60 minutes? And why isn't that we spend billions of dollars trying to know the future through, through horoscopes and, and the like. And here God has told us our future and we, we don't study it hardly anymore in the church. It's, it's something that when I first started studying God's plan for the end of the age, many, many people seemed very interested in it. Uh, Tim LaHaye's books, the Left Behind series, had just come out. Lots of people were interested in this idea of the rapture and our hope that we have in him. And now we wake up in 2023, and it, it doesn't seem to be taught as much in churches anymore. Christians don't seem to be talking about it. Although in the last few years, I have to say that I think a lot of people see that the stage is being set in a, in a unique way that we just might be living in, a, in, a, in the generation that may see these things. But I also understand this, that I think God has written his plan for the end of the age in a way that every single generation of Christians could believe that their generation is the last mm -hmm. generation, that their generation would be the generation that sees this thing called the rapture of the church. Yes. I think the Thessalonians had this hope of the, of the rapture as Paul was teaching them. They had this hope, 
And I think they earnestly believed and could believe that it could happen in their generation. Mm -hmm. And I think every generation of Christians can have that same hope. So whether it's by death or whether it's by the trumpet call of God in our rapture of the church, we are going to heaven, and that is our hope. That is our hope. All right, we'll take a very short break, and when we come back, we're going to continue studying First Thessalonians with Jeff Dorn. We'll be right back. like 80s rock to you <laughs> maybe because it is 80s rock i don't recognize the <laughs> well song, it's a parody though, of something yeah yeah because we don't it's kind have of that anthem rock feel, yeah, doesn't yeah it? we don't have the licensed music anymore oh, so okay. yeah that's a bummer okay uh let's uh just touch briefly on the rapture uh discussion because i know for many listening they may have not come to a decision as to what they understand to be their position on it and there are three different positions and we're Respect, respecting everybody's understanding of it. Yeah, there are. I mean, we, we mentioned earlier that there's so many different varied opinions. And with the advance of the Internet, uh, there are there are lots of even more than three. There are probably 300 different views of eschatology in the end times. Um, you know, I, I, I don't when I teach on the end times, I don't teach all of the different views and then let the students kind of decide which one sounds best to them. That's never been how I teach any doctrine, to be honest with you. I like to go to Scripture and say, what does Scripture say, and how do we put the pieces together? We need to be like the Bereans, one who searches the Scripture every day to see if what Paul says or whoever says is true. So whether you hear it from the pulpit or on the radio or in an article, you, Christian, Take that teaching, go back to the Word of God, and see if that's how you understand Scripture as well. Sounds good. Can we move on to chapter 2? Let's do it. we got a few minutes left. We can yeah. get started. Yeah. Where would you like to, uh, what verse? One, two How about verses? verse 1? Well, I know, but how many verses do we want to cover here? <laughs> well, let's, uh, do you want to read? Read verse 1 and 2. Okay. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. That's good. Well, let's see what this strong opposition is. If you know the story of Paul in Acts 16 is where this strong opposition is described in Scripture. So this is, they were tr- they were treated outrageously uh, in Philippi, as we're going to see. So in Acts 16, starting uh, right around verse 19, uh, P- Paul had been preaching the gospel, and uh, this young woman came to faith or started proclaiming who these guys were, and, and the owners did, of this slave girl didn't like this, and they seized Paul and Silas, and they dragged him into the marketplace to face the authorities. Um, they basically made charges against Paul and Silas that they are, were throwing the entire city into an uproar by 
by advocating customs that, uh, that the Romans didn't accept. It was basically the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The crowd joins in on the attack, and they stripped these two men. They beat them with rods. They were severely flogged, and they were thrown into prison. Uh, and the jailer was commanded to guard them uh, carefully. This is, this is the opposition that Paul faced in Philippi. I mean, that is outrageous. Beaten, flogged, imprisoned. Uh, both their, their feet were in the stocks, and they were in a cold, dark prison. Well, God, that wasn't part of God's plan for these two at that time. In verse 25, it says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Because that's the first thing I'd probably do if I'm shackled and beaten and been flogged. I'm going to be singing hymns of praise to God, right? I mean, wow. Amazing. Think about that. Yeah. You know, Paul says to be joyful even in suffering. And, you know, he was. He really was. So he's singing, praising God and the other prisoners. And I think the guard was listening as well. Suddenly, there was this great earthquake, verse 26, and everybody's chains fell off and the doors swing wide open. And the jailer, realizing this, runs in and is about to kill himself because tradition says that if you uh, let your prisoners escape, you would face death. So he was about to kill himself. And Paul says, no, 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 don't harm yourself. We're all here, which is amazing in its own right that all the prisoners, even though their shackles were gone and the doors were open, were still all there. The jailer calls for the lights, and this is why I think he was actually listening to Paul sing and praise God because this is his question. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Well, this has got to be one of the most important questions that any single person on the entire planet in any age can ask. What must I do to be saved? You know, God's salvation is pretty amazing. He gives those who are saved eternal life. They live forever. So, I mean, I have eternal life. That's a big deal. That's a really big deal. And the jailer recognizing this says, what must I do to be saved? Now, here's Paul's answer. This answer Whatever your theology, whatever your denominational background, whatever your teaching that you grew up with and so on, this answer is going to cut through all of that and give us a clear, simple answer to God's plan of salvation. Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Salvation is really that simple. Mm -hmm. The word believe in the Greek and I've said this often, if you know one Greek word, know this Greek word for believe. It's the Greek word pistuio, pistuio, and it means this, to believe it's true, and to, the second part of this word, is to entrust for salvation. So the fullness of the biblical meaning of believe is to believe it's true and to entrust for salvation. This is the verb form of this word. By the way, the noun form of this word is faith. So how is a person saved? Well, Paul tells us elsewhere, it's by faith that you are saved, by faith alone, as the Protestant reformers proclaimed and have for 500 years correctly, I might add, that we are saved by faith alone. 
So whether it's by faith or believing, same, basically the same Greek word, one's the verb, one's the noun. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house, and at that hour at night, now listen to what the jailer does now. I think this guy was changed a little bit because hours earlier he was imprisoning these guys and, and, and putting shackles on them, and now it says the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and immediately he and all his household were baptized because they believed, and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe. Isn't that cool? That's so cool. I love the jailer story for so many reasons, but one of them is it, it, it simply lays out so clearly God's simple plan of salvation that if you just believe in him, he will save you and save you completely, give you eternal life, make you a child of God, give you his righteousness, wash you clean, right? Though your sins be like scarlet, they will be made white as snow through the blood of Jesus Christ. So why did they persecute Paul? Well, I mentioned this servant girl earlier, this slave girl who had spirits, and she proclaimed about these men. These men are servants of the Most High who are telling you the way to be saved. And that's why they were persecuted. Mm-hmm. Well, great study, Jeff. I love John 629. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. We're going to continue our study in Thessalonians with Jeff Redorn, but that's all the time we have for today. Thanks for listening and thanks for supporting Faith Radio. You know, that means a ton to me. We will take a short break and be back with more in just a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.